just want to welcome everybody here tonight. If, you, if this is your first Wednesday night service, uh, this is our encounter service. And so the words of that song are, are real, and they're what my expectation is tonight, that the Lord is in this place. And encounter is not just encounter the seats and encounter the people and shake some hands and read some scripture, but it's really about encountering the living God. So, so my expectation and what we're going to try to do tonight is to facilitate an environment, facilitate a, an environment in our hearts where we can encounter the living God. And that's the sole purpose tonight. So I'm going to open us up in prayer so that I can reiterate to God that he knows that I know that I'm not enough. <laughs> and then unless he shows up tonight, none of what I just said is going to happen. But we're in, we can, we're in good faith because his word tells us we're two or more gathered that he's there. And he also says, what you ask, what, what two or more of you ask, I will do. And so as I pray tonight to help kind of set this tone in my heart and, and hopefully in yours, I hope that you join me so that I can have not just me praying this and then I can have two or more, okay? So Father, tonight we just come to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We, we lift up our praise to you for you are the, the God of gods. You are the King of kings. And when you left us, you said that I go so that one greater can come. And Father, that's what we're here tonight for. We're here to encounter your Holy Spirit, the helper that you said you were going to send so that we could live out this kingdom life here without you. And Father, as I was praying, as we were lifting up our voices in praise, you reminded me that this is the church that floods. So Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would flood this place tonight, that you would flood it with your Holy Spirit, that there would be marks on the walls, there'd be marks on our hearts, there'd be, we'd have to roll up our, our sleeves and roll up our, our legs of our pants, that Father, we would wade through your Holy Spirit tonight, and that you would make an everlasting mark on us going forward, that you were in this place tonight. So Father, we thank you in advance for what your word tells us you will do because we know that you are a God who does what he says he will do. So Father, come and move in this place tonight because we're not enough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Joe knows I need a stool because I might be the traveling preacher because I'll travel all over the stage as I talk if I don't have a stool. Thanks, Joe. So my name's Chris McLean. If y'all don't know me, um, some people here might be new. Um, I'm one of the elders here. And, and we've started kind of alternating who speaks on this service intentionally. Um, so Pastor Paul asked me to come and, and speak tonight, and, and we talked over what I was going to be talking on. And, and I thought that I've got the end of this uh, talk is going to be what the real talk is on. But the beginning of it was, was kind of for me. And if you've ever spoken in front of people, if you've ever had the, the privilege of bringing the Word of God to other people, you know that that saying is not fake, that you have to study a ton and teach a pound. And so I studied a ton on kindness because that's what, you know, the this, this series of these Wednesday nights is all about is kindness and, and not so random acts of kindness or intentional kindness. And, I, and I, it's not lost on me that kindness is the theme and, and we're going to talk about that why, you know, that fits into this talk really well. But but I wanted to under, made sure that I understood what does kindness really mean. Because we hear it a lot and we, we talk about it a lot. But, but do I really know what it means? Really? Can I define it? 
I mean, I know I can recognize it. A lot of you people in the audience here are kind, and I recognize your kindness, and I can see it, and I can say, you know, Jeremy's kind. And I can appreciate it, because if you do something kind for me, I certainly appreciate it. And occasionally, that even makes me emulate it. Even when I don't understand it, I can, you know, fake it till you make it, that thing people say. I can emulate it sometimes, but that doesn't really make it kindness. So in order for me to make sure that I can deploy this in my life, I really need to be able to understand what it is. So I did what most people will do. I pulled out the dictionary, and I went to, I actually pulled it up on the phone. Merriam-Webster defines kindness as the quality or state of being kind. That was the first line. I was like, well, that's not helpful. Don't use the word I'm trying to define in the definition. That always drives me crazy. So I looked at the next one, and it says, you know, a state of being sympathetic or helpful in nature. And I thought, okay, that's, we're getting some traction here. I still didn't, wasn't sure that quite defined it for me. And so I was, I was looking for the definition of kindness. I came up on the Urban Dictionary. And I don't know if any of you have ever used the Urban Dictionary. This was my first experience in the Urban Dictionary. Um, my daughter's laughing, so probably there's some things I shouldn't read on the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Maybe that's why y'all are laughing too. Maybe you shouldn't be reading it. But I, I learned a little bit because it, it was a little odd when I went on the Urban Dictionary that, that it said the top definition and it seemed to be rated. So what I learned was that the Urban Dictionary is actually submitted by people on the web. And you can just submit definitions for words. And then by a series of likes and dislikes, they rate the top, what they call definition. You know, I'm going to say it's a description because most of what I read on there wasn't really def definitions, they were descriptions. And so the Urban Dictionary described it. And it was interesting because the the first definition that was up, the top definition, was obviously written by a Christian. And you'll see why when I read this. Kindness, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, a visible attribute of a true Christian life as found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Kindness is doing something and not expecting anything in return. Kindness is respect and helping others without waiting for someone to help one back. It implies kindness no matter what. So a kindness, an act of kindness without an expectation of a return. So that was the, the Christian definition. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, the Internet is typically not very kind to Christian thought, right? I mean, that's, we probably most of us recognize that. But this had the most uh, likes than anything else, and it also had the least dislikes. And of the top four definitions or descriptions in Urban Dictionary, this was number one. And the next three of the top four actually didn't define kindness. They defined it negatively. So in other words, what I mean by that is they used the inverse to describe kindness. One of them said is that kindness is only understood through true pain. That was number two. Number three said apparently this does not exist anymore in our world. And then number four said it has died out. So those were the other top three definitions from Urban Dictionary of Kindness. And the only one that positively described or positively defined a true definition around kindness could only describe it in terms of Christianity. And it appeared to be that nobody else argued that on the web because there was no competing description or definition. So then I turned to the scripture because I said, okay, that's, those are the words. Um, how does this play out? 
And, and there, you can do a word search on, on kindness, and you find a lot of scriptures. Most of them, uh, again, just describe when kindness is acted out, not really defining, defining for me what kindness was. But you do see it demonstrated over and over in scripture. One of the ones that stood out to me was King David. And he showed, us that, showed me that kindness was, uh, it, it was synonymous with mercy. And there was almost a proclivity towards actions of love and compassion. So that it wasn't, it wasn't just you know, a thought of kindness. It always seemed to imply doing something or, or something having been done. And it also showed me that it was intentional. And that was he was dealing with uh, Mephibosheth. just wanted to make sure you guys knew I could say that word, that name. Mephibosheth, who was the son of Jonathan. And we see a, a great example of kindness for King David. So in 2 Samuel 9.3, and then I'll skip down to 9.7, it says, And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And they went and got him. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. So we've got an enemy of David whose followers and family members were fighting David for the, for the kingdom. And then afterwards, David gets the power and he's the king and unopposed. And he says, Who can I show kindness on? And so David showed us that this is not something that is just incidental. This is not something that he was waiting for to happen to come along. David actually sought out an object of his kindness. So he was very intentional with this. So when I think about the definition that I came up with, and I think about the description that we read from the Internet, and then I think about the demonstration of how we see it played out in Scripture it helped for me to, to develop this and to develop my own definition of this. And so as we try to develop it, and I encourage you to develop it in your life, I want you to kind of challenge yourself with this definition. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to kind of go through it and see if we can all agree that this sounds good. So I came up with kindness is the countercultural, intentional inclination toward mercy and the expression of the love that we have been given toward those around us that is completely foreign to our nature of selfish desires and judgmental thoughts. And this may sound a little familiar. You know, Brian, just if y'all were here on Sunday, one of the things that really spoke to me in his sermon on Sunday was this idea that, that the love and the service that we show others actually has been poured into us by Christ and what he's done for us and and that it comes out of that salvation. It comes out of that love that we've been given. And so this, this idea of expression of the love that we've been given, you know, really spoke to me on Sunday. And I love it when God does that because I was, you know, you're always wrestling with these talks before you give them and, and making sure that you get up here and you don't say something the Lord didn't want you to say. And, and, uh, and so that was him just, I love it when he confirms in me through somebody else what a message that he's given me. And that's what that did. So that may have sound, sounded a little familiar to what Brian said the other day, but I promise you the Lord had given me that well before I heard it and, and really had been working it in both of our messages together. So that's always encouraging. But let's break this definition down, and I'm going to do the first part of it really quickly because the second part, the end, is where I really want to challenge everybody tonight um, in a little different way. 
So this is countercultural, and I, I hope I demonstrated that with the whole like and unlike thing on Urban Dictionary, because that was really powerful for me to see that there's, there's not even a cultural opposition. You know, there's not even a word for it. You know, that one of the true defining things in the Christian belief system is that our belief and our understanding that, that we are not kind, we are not loving, we are not, you know, altruistic at our hearts before we interact with Christ. You know, mankind is not kind. And that thought that we are can be displayed very quickly with a group of three-year-olds. If we go back, if there's three-year-olds back in the back right now, you'll learn really quickly that man is not innately good because they, you don't have to teach them to fight over toys, right? And so that idea of kindness and this whole thing of, of kind of showing love and mercy to other people uh, really is countercultural, and that was demonstrated in Urban Dictionary. The, the intentional inclination towards mercy, we see David do that. And, and again, I mean, Christ on the cross, Christ putting on flesh, walking amongst us, Christ, you know, his whole mission to earth is intentionality. Right? You, there's no other way to interpret what God has done for us except for this idea of intentional mercy and an act of kindness. The expression of love that we've been given is also equally represented in Scripture. 1 John 4.19 says, because we, because we love because He first loved us. And that we can only pour out love that we've been given. And Jesus even tells us that, hey, not only am I going to give you this love and, and I'm calling you to pour it out to other people, it's actually how you're going to be known. It's how you're going to be demonstrate that you are my disciples. John 13, 35 says, by this, this is Jesus talking, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you're kind to one another, if you have mercy on one another, you're going to be known for that. And then the idea of it being foreign to our nature, we're told this in Scripture that, that when God interacts with His people, when we, when we come to Christ and we come to Him in a, in a saving relationship, you know, He tells us that He's going to make us new, that He's going to change us from where we started to something different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Ezekiel 36 tells us, 26 says, 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this idea that where we started, our natural self, what we have become in this, and the thing that we're going to be known for after is this, these acts of kindness, that Jesus has done this in us, that he has made us something new or something totally different, something totally foreign and it tells us, too, that we're going to be foreigners in a foreign land as, as followers of Christ. Jesus was even questioned about this when he was in his ministry. Many times, uh, the Pharisees would come and say, you're breaking this rule, you're breaking that rule. And he would, he would use these rules to try to show that Jesus was not teaching correctly. And when he was questioned about fasting, because at this time, the Pharisees had a, had a ritual of fasting twice a week. I think it was Tuesday and Friday, I think they would fast. And even the, the disciples of John the Baptist carried on this religious activity as well of regularly fasting. And so the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were asking him and they said, you know, your, your disciples don't fast. What's going on with this? 
Why, 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 do, why do you look so different? Why do they look different? They're supposed to look like us. We're the, we're the teachers of the law. We're the religious people. We're telling you what to do. Why don't they look like us? And Jesus was trying to explain this idea of it being a new creation, a new way you know, a new way of interacting with the world, a new way of bringing love, a, a new thing that he was doing. So in Mark 2.22, this is where I want to really sit for a little while tonight. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So if you know anything about how wine was made back in this day, you need to know this to kind of understand what Jesus is talking about. It Because for the people of, of Jerusalem at the time, this would have been something readily that they understood. You know, wine was, uh, there was water and then there was wine. And, and it was kind of the, the drink that you drank when you weren't drinking water. Uh, and there was two types of wine. There was new wine and then there was older wine. And, and the way they made the wine, they would tread the grapes uh, in the wine press, and that's where you see the, you know, literally they would tread, they, they'd get in with their feet, and they would tread the grapes often. They also had a, a big wheel that they would press over it sometimes, but oftentimes they were actually treading with their feet into the wine press, and that would get all the juice out of the grapes, and then the juice would run down this little um, carafe, and it would get into this other area called the wine vat, and the wine vat is where you would actually do the first stage of fermentation. And after a few days in the, in the wine vat, they would separate out the lees, which is the, all the sediment, and they would separate it away from the initial, just the fluid, and then they would ferment it a little bit longer, a total of five days, and then they would pour it either into jars that were lined with pitch for immediate use, or they would store it in wineskins. And the first part of fermentation would, it would ferment slightly, so there was a small amount of alcohol in that uh, through fermentation. But then they would store it in the, in the wineskins, which we always think of the little bandolier that's thrown over the shoulder, almost like a little water container that we would have. Um, that's not at all what these wineskins were. What, what these wineskins were were entire goats or entire, you know, they would, they would do goats, they would do sheep, they would do any, any kind of large animal like that. And they would skin the entire animal. And they would cut the part off for the tail, and then they would cut the legs and the, all the legs off kind of here, so that basically you had this bag that was the size of an entire animal. And they would sew it up, and then they would seal all the ends so that it didn't leak with tar or pitch. And then they would leave the neck open, and that's where they would pour in the wine. And then once they got it to full, they would close that off and oftentimes connect it to another wineskin for the purpose of transportation. They would throw it over a over a donkey or over a, you know, something to carry it, a wagon or so. And, and that's how they stored the wine, and it's also how they continued the fermentation process in order to get good wine or old wine, right? And the, the process would then go on for another six months or so of this fermentation. And what happens in fermentation is gases are released. I think it's usually carbon, uh, carbon dioxide gets released. The alcohol content goes up as a process of fermentation to about 12%. The, the, the skins themselves get a little denatured, part in, in part because of the fermentation process and in part because of the alcohol. And so it changes the texture of the, the wine, the wine skins themselves. So the skin then, after all this process has gone through, is a, little, is a little harder, it's a little stiffer after the process. But in that process, a stretching has occurred because that wine skin was a new wine skin. It was a fresh, fresh leather. And if you think about, like, think about your cars, if any of you have leather seats in your cars. You know, you first get into that seat, and you first buy that car, and man, it's smooth, 
and it's nice, and it feels really good, and it kind of hugs your skin a little bit. And then, you know, if you're, you've got a truck like mine that's a 2005, uh, I get into it now, and it actually cuts the side of my leg because it's so hard that the corner of the seat is brittle, and it's got these jagged edges, and it just, like, shaves my hair when I get in. It, and so the same thing was happening here. The, the, the leather that was in these wineskins, after this process goes on, it gets harder and gets brittle. And Jesus didn't have to paint this picture like I'm doing because they saw this every single day. I mean, I bet you couldn't go into the streets of Jerusalem without seeing wineskins everywhere. And transportation, going from here to there, it was part of the things that you put on a convoy. I mean, you know, the team that went to Israel this past year can tell you what a journey it was just going from town to town. And so you got to believe that when they're making these journeys, they're carrying provisions with them. So this is like telling somebody to go get your knapsack and, or, or your book bag or, or your, your luggage. So he didn't have to explain a lot of this, but he does to us for us to get the proper understanding of what he's telling us. And so remember that we've been given these wineskins. If you remember back to that Ezekiel picture that I was painting, he's going to trade out our heart of stone and he's going to replace it with a heart of flesh. And if you think about the difference between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh, it's compliance, right? I mean, you know, a heart of stone, stone is, is very rigid. It, it doesn't give. There, if you had a cup made of stone, it's going to have a very fixed volume that you can get in that cup, and that's it. Uh, and it. And it breaks easy, right? Whereas, you know, a heart of flesh, you think of flesh, you think of leather, you think of uh, expandable, you think that it, it can stretch, you know, it can, it can grow. Uh, and so he's telling us that, that what they're looking at, they're looking at Jesus' disciples and they're seeing old wineskin. They're seeing the, the, the rigid way of doing religious activity, the, re, the old way of approaching God. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I'm doing something totally different. I'm doing something new. And if you guys, if you had eyes to see and ears to hear, you would already be with me. So I want you to remember this idea of the difference between the two wineskins because it's pretty important. There's two main differences. The material is different and the mechanics. So we talked about that the material in the, in the younger wineskin is more pliable. It's softer. It has the ability to stretch. It's not stretched yet, but it has that ability. Whereas the old wineskins are harder, coarser, brittle, you know, fixed in their, in their shape and their size. And then the mechanics of the wineskin, again, it's this idea of being stretched and being, you know, we, you know, you put in a full volume of this wine and, and they did this and they just understood that if I fill it up to the top and seal it off, it's okay because this wineskin is going to stretch and grow. And they knew that because they had experienced this before. So they had already done this and realized that, okay, that, that wineskin can accommodate that. And so that's the mechanics of the wineskin. And so... When you understand these things, then you think about what's doing the stretching. Is the bag itself stretching? Is the wineskin stretching? It's the, it's the wine that's poured in, and it's the fermentation process, and it's the maturing process that's going on inside the, inside the wineskin once the wine's been poured in that's actually the active component in this. And so the active thing carrying out the mechanics is the wine, or I'm going to say the spirit. Because in what Jesus is trying to convey to us and what I'm trying to convey to you tonight is that this active component in our Christian walk, the very way that we are to live out the loving of other people is by the love that's been poured into us. 
And, and, you know, if God is love and God sent, you know, the Spirit into us, then we've been poured into, the love that's been poured into us is the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is what I'm going to challenge you tonight is the very thing that is responsible for the expansion in your life. So the way I looked at this, I said, all right, well, well then if I understand these things, then I got four options when it comes down to understanding this scripture. I can be an old wineskin with old wine. And what is that? Well, that's the Pharisees. Or today, I'm going to say that's the culture. That's the, the atheists. That's the naturalists. That's anybody who thinks that their wisdom and their understanding trumps anything that God has to say. It's old ways of doing something, and it's, and it's the old wine. And let me tell you, that supply runs out. The old wine might taste really good for a little while. You know, that you know, non-biblical wisdom, worldly wisdom, is, was pretty good for a little while. It'll get you, I mean, we came out of the dark ages, right? I mean, you know, we have electricity, we have cars, we have transportation, we have all these things, all this technology. And, and the way I look at it, the benefit of that technology is rapidly running out in our culture. I mean, we're making up new excuses to kill babies. And we have all this technology. So the value of that old wine runs out. The volume of that old wine runs out. Old wineskin, another option is you've got old wineskin and i got new wine. i got, I got, I got my old way of doing things and, and the new wine's all around me. And there are people like that. There, are gonna, there might be people here tonight that know of Jesus they know of the Spirit. They might have even had the Spirit on them before. They might have even been prayed for and had some healing from God. But they haven't quite come to Christ and said, do with me what you want. Have your way with me. Give it in to Him as Lord of their life. They might even know that He exists. and They might even know that Jesus is the Son of God. But until you say, you are Lord, that's the deal breaker. That's when you get that new wineskin. When you confess that he's Lord in your life, that's the transition to getting the new wine. So those are people that are searching maybe. They're cultural Christians. They know the lingo. They might even have been around it. They've got a little bit of volume. Because think about it, an old wineskin can hold a little bit of volume, right? They just don't want to get too much of it. It gets poured on them. And eventually, the wineskin falls apart and it turns rancid. So then you've got the new wineskin. So many of you here tonight I know, and many of you I know are new wineskin people. Uh, and, so, and you're here tonight, so that means you, you either thought this was the box you needed to check because it's Wednesday night and we go to church on Wednesdays, or you're truly here to encounter the living God. And for some of us, like me, years ago, I'm challenging myself to get a little better with this, but years ago, I kind of knew of the Spirit I mean, I knew he did some crazy things. I, you know, God moves in some ways that I couldn't understand. And I wasn't exactly down with learning about it. I, you know, I knew that God was miraculous and I knew he was supernatural. I just didn't necessarily want to experience any of that supernatural because I like things that I could fully explain. And that may be some of you here. It didn't make me not a believer. I, I, I truly submitted my life to Christ. I just wasn't, I wasn't willing to let go of what I knew to experience what God wanted me to experience. 
And so what I was doing is I was a, I was a new wineskin, and I was even letting new wine in me. I mean, the Lord, I, I'm confident when I was 14 years old and, and, and submitted to Christ that the Holy Spirit came in me. But he came in me, and I was doing this. I was holding him back. I said, yeah, I'll just take a little bit because that's what I'm comfortable with. Because I'm not so sure this bag expands. I'm not so sure how much I can fill up of you and still be comfortable. I'm not so sure how much, when you get inside me, how I, I might feel bloated. I might feel a little big. I don't, I'm not sure this thing might bust. And that gets pretty messy. So I would allow a very little bit of God in my life, a very little bit of the Holy Spirit in my life to move. But I wasn't really willing to operate like I was a new wineskin. So though I was a, a new wineskin and though I had new wine, I was still operating like I was an old wineskin. I was trusting the volume I could see, and I wasn't willing to let it expand. So then what I'm hoping to do tonight, and what the rest of this service tonight is going to hopefully usher in, is to encourage everybody to this fourth condition, which is new wineskin filled with new wine. Because this is, this is what Christ wanted for us. This is why he set things up a little bit differently. This is why he, he purposely, you know, told, he, his, some of his disciples, they wouldn't fast. And then when Jesus explained about it, he, he said, this is totally different. This is what I want for you, something different. So what he's calling us to do tonight is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just wet with the Holy Spirit. Not just encounter a little bit of the Holy Spirit or see it across the room. He wants everybody in here to be completely saturated and filled with the new wine. Why? So that you can start expanding. So that he can start maturing your wineskin. So that he can start doing a new thing in you. And that hopefully you'll overflow into the person next to you. Because how does the love of God come? How did he tell us the love of Christ, the very kingdom that he brought in and ushered in, was going to be manifested? It's going to be manifested through you. Through the Holy Spirit. And if you don't move, if you don't come and get filled, then what are you going to pour out to people around you? We only love through the love that he's given us. We only serve through how he served us. We can only do what he does for us first. So I want you to interact with the Spirit tonight like you want to be filled. And there's things that hold people back, and I'm aware of that. And so I want to challenge you on some of these. The things that hold us back are fear. You know, we don't know what we don't know. What if, he, what if I start speaking in tongues? Everybody's going to look at me kind of weird. Yeah, I want them to. Well, what, if, well, what, if, what if God, you know, causes me, provokes me to give something away? Well, what if I need it? Well, don't you know the Lord can provide? I mean, he tells us in his word, if you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over. That's the scripture of being filled by the Holy Spirit. That fear of I might not have enough goes away when the God is pouring into you full measure, shaken out, running over to everybody around you. There's some discomfort that can come. Sure. When God challenges you away from the things that you know culturally, that causes a little discomfort. But my God supplies comfort. You may not have experience with this, and so that leads to a lack of faith. You know, the, he, God wasn't explaining this to people who didn't have experience in what he was explaining to about, right? So he was telling them in things that they could relate to. And so what does that tell me about it? He tells, it tells me that God wants you to rely on your experience. He wants you to rely on what he's already done in your life. 
He's already saved you. He's already forgiven you. He's already broken the bonds. Trust in that. We see miracles five years ago, and then now we forget. Well, did that really happen? Maybe that was just coincidence. I'm not sure God really did that. Trust in the experiences that he's given you. Shame is another big block for this. We think that we're not good enough. These were goat skins, people. Okay? You ever seen a goat skinned? It's pretty ugly. It's pretty nasty. He's using goat skins as a comparative. Okay? We're in good shape. I don't care what you've done. You're better than a goat. Okay? The biggest one, and I think the one, you know, lack of planning is on here too. We got to be intentional. Y'all are here tonight. You're intentional. I'm going to assume you're intentional. So I'm going to assume that you're not going to sit in the chairs whenever we call you up in a minute. Because you're demonstrating intentionality. Don't stop at the door. Carry it out. Be fully intentional with God tonight and he will meet you here. The biggest thing though is indifference. And I think this is the biggest hindrance. We don't, we don't know how good it can be. We don't know the impact that we can have. And so we're indifferent to it. We go through this life, we're living like we're natural. We're living like we expect to be hearts of stone. God has so much more for us. The kingdom of God is what he wanted to, to bring in. Are you living in the kingdom of God? Are you seeing it around you? Are you having him speak to you? Are you having miracles break out? Are you having people weep when you speak to them? Because that's the kingdom of God. He will provoke to use you in a way that is miraculous. We can't be indifferent to this. We cannot be indifferent to this. He said, go and make disciples. Baptize them. How are they going to know? If they don't see the Spirit in us, how are they going to know we're disciples of God? If they don't see the love pouring out from us, how are they going to know that we're disciples of God? He's told us that. So my challenge is this. I'm going to walk you through what we're going to do. And we're going to run over a little bit. I'm going to need you to deal with that. I want the elders to come up. And it's going to be different tonight. And I want to challenge you to engage in this. I really want everybody to engage in this. You're here tonight. Come on, let's just see what happens. I mean, I prayed for a flood to take place in here tonight. I didn't think about a flood when I walked in here tonight. The Lord put that on my mind. I want a flood to break out in here tonight. And I want to change the narrative over flooding in Crosstown. So the elders are going to come up. But instead of coming up and praying about what you need fixed, I want you to trust me and come up and pray about what you need filled. And that's going to go two different ways. Either you've got a new wineskin or you don't. If you don't have that wineskin, if you haven't submitted to the King of Kings and said, have your way with me, Lord, do not wait. Do that tonight. Because what I've got for you, what the Lord has got for you is so much better than what you're living in right now. It's got to be teasing you to see other people have freedom. It's got to be teasing you to see God breaking out in other people's lives and to be stuck there, not knowing why it's not happening in yours. Trade in your old wineskin for the new wineskin by just saying, Lord, have your way with me. You are who you said you are. Now do what you said you will do. Most of you, I know, have this new wineskin, but it ain't filled. So come up and let's fill it tonight. Let's fill it all the way up. 
not leaving room for gas expansion so that we can just trust what our eyes see, not trusting in the wisdom of the world. Let's trust in what the Lord says and let's fill it up. If you're in here and you're under the age of 18, I want you to come up too. Because the Lord also told me, he said, I'm going to give visions and I'm going to give words of prophecy and the kids are going to be involved too. Your young men are going to be involved. So you come up too. This isn't just for adults. I want everybody to come up and pray for filling. So that prayer is going to be pretty quick. Lord, have your way. Fill me. And then I want to go back to your seed. And we're going to give that a little time and get everybody through this. And then what I want is the overflowing into those around you. That's when the prayers of fixing come. That's when the prayers of healing come. That's when the demonstration of God's glory comes. That's when the flooding is going to overflow in this place. We're going to shake it down. It's going to be pressed down, overflowing to everybody around you. Because I, I want evidence of the flood. I want stories from tonight that say, you know, I was in bondage before I came Wednesday night. I walked out of there free. I needed healing when I came in there Wednesday night. And I walked out healed. I've seen healing. I've had, I got a son that is the result of healing. And still I question. So let's not question tonight. Let's give people reasons to believe. So Father, I just pray, as the elders are coming up, Lord, I pray that first of all, you would do your work in our hearts. For your word tells us that it is your job to give us hearts of flesh. And I pray, Father God, that we wouldn't stand in that way. Soften our hearts, Lord. Prepare our hearts for what you're going to do tonight. You said where two or more are gathered that you're here. Father, I'm going to hold you to that. You said what we ask together you will do. I'm going to ask you for this, Lord. Move in this place tonight, Father. There are people here like Nathaniel who sat under the fig tree, who sat there and wondered and prayed to you and talked to you, and all it took was for you to say, Do you remember? Do you remember the fig tree? Well, Lord, we're here tonight. Some of us are under that fig tree. Lord, I pray that that word would come tonight to set us free, to not have us wonder anymore, but to see evidence of it all around us, that you would come and that you would flood this place tonight and that we could then flood into the community around us, Father God, to bring your kingdom, to bring knowledge of your disciples and to bring your love. Move in this place tonight, Jesus.